Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Tightwad Tech, episode 90, I Want My Fog Back, recorded March 12, 2012, and brought to you by Element OP Productions, elementop.com. This week, we're going to talk about some of the tools and the technologies and the things that we have tried over the years that totally flopped. Now, you might not think the title of the show has anything to do with that since we're so big on fog, but we'll under- you'll understand a little later on how, how that came into be. That, uh, that was actually something that Sean said to me recently. And speaking of Sean, let me welcome to the show Mr. Sean Kyle. Hey, brother, how's it going? Good, good. It's good to be here as usual. Yes, it's, I look forward each and every week to coming to this show, uh, the, the, yes. first, the first of our podcast, the, the uh, vanguard of the empire. Uh, yeah, really, uh, it starts the week off right. Well, technically, I do two shows on Sunday, so that's the start of my week. But Okay. <laughs> <laughs> good shows at that. Thank you. Or a good show, I guess I should say. Just one of them? You don't, yeah. No, I do two different shows I, on Sunday. The, the oh, art do of you podcasting really? is also Sunday nights. Oh, okay. I didn't realize that. I knew that Everyday Linux was and that you doubled up on episodes. Uh, oh, often. we haven't, actually haven't done that for a while. We used to. But yeah. Okay. Okay. So anyway, um, the first item in the warm-up this week is something Sean wants to talk to us about, but it's something I have intentionally avoided. I honestly, earnestly, and truly know nothing about it by choice. And we're talking about, of course, the Kony 2012. Is that, is that even how it's pronounced? Kony, K-O-N-Y? Yes, it is. I know, like the uh, the Coney Island, I guess. Uh, okay. Is the, I mean, that's the way in the movie that they, they say it. So anyway, uh, yeah, I, I'm sure this has been such a, a hot thing out there on the web and uh, especially on the social networks, Facebook and everything else. It's Coney 2012. And it's about this guy. And, you know, now I'm going to I'm going to talk about this and totally sound like I have no idea what I'm talking about because I can't remember what country it was from. But it was somewhere in like, I think, Central Africa, Uganda or something yeah, I'm like pretty that. Sure it's Uganda. And, uh, you know, it's the same old story of what you hear going on in Africa. This guy uh, abducts, you know, preteen boys and enlists them in his army and makes them kill their parents and uh, takes the girls and makes turns them into sex slaves for his army and uh, all this kind of stuff. And, uh, you know, we've seen that stuff before. And I'm, I'm, you know, trying to not make it sound like it's not a big deal because it's a horrible thing. And uh, this video goes in, and the guy who makes the video uh, particularly befriends one of the the uh, boys who's uh, saw his brother killed right in front of him, and things like that. And uh, it's a heart wrenching uh, movie, and it's done very well. It's only about thirty minutes, and I would encourage anybody to to see it because uh, one, you don't have to pay anything to see it, and and two, it's it's eye opening to see what's going on over there, and that's been going on for a long time. Uh, the point of the movie is this guy uh, that makes the movie says, well, basically, we're going to we're going to do something about this guy. We're going to make this go viral uh, around the world and we're going to force, uh, you know, our politicians and everybody into action and we're going to take this guy down. So I kind of like that. That's an awesome, awesome way to use the uh, the Internet, right, is uh, to pull all these people together. And uh, now, Mark, I know you have a word for for this uh, as far as how people will oftentimes the way they show their support is by simply posting it and saying, hey, go watch this. Right. right. And, well, it's and not my word. word. It's slacktivism, the the active right. activism by slacking off. You don't do anything but post a link and you feel good about it. I've done my right. part. I'm saving the trees because I forwarded this email. 
no, you're full of crap. Well, um, I have some some pretty deep thoughts about this because I really got to thinking about it. And since I watched the video, I thought, you know, that's a great idea and everything. But what concerns me about this is these same people that are going to be all up in arms about we need to get rid of this Coney guy. As soon as our government puts together 50, 100,000 troops together <laughs> and flies them over there and they start dying by the thousands, all of that is going to start to dry up. So if you've watched this Coney 2012 and you're all about let's stop Coney and I'm going to post it all over my Facebook and I'm going to blog about it and everything else, you have got to be in for the long haul. And this right. is what makes me sick because so often that's what we see is Americans aren't in for the long haul. They're in for what's popular at the moment. And then when Americans start dying, then they change their minds. Well, you, if you're going to get behind this thing, then you have to figure Am I willing to have my brother die for this? Right. Well, and at it's, the same time, the these people who are saying that we need to build an international coalition and go in there and do whatever um, are the same ones that, if that actually happened, would be saying, what are we doing interfering with a sovereign nation? What right do we have there? What are we, empire mongers? Knock it off. Right. Right. So, yeah, it just, you know, the more I was hearing that and I was like, man, in a perfect world, that's a great idea. And, man, it'd be awesome if if the web was able to accomplish this. But uh, as I thought about how that would happen, I thought, oh, yeah, okay. So American planes are going to go in there and start – and little children are going to die accidentally because one of our bombs fell in the wrong place. And all of a sudden, it, they don't have the stomach for it anymore. So if you're one of those Coney 2012ers out there and you're, you're – you know, you left your uh, uh, whatever it was, besiege Wall Street or whatever to go uh, back Coney now or uh, back this movement. Uh, put a little bit more thought into it is, is what I'm going to say. Uh, you know, you have to be prepared to go the long haul. This is almost identical to what we did in Somalia. And the reason we got out of Somalia is because Americans couldn't stomach it anymore. Yeah, we started taking a few casualties. and uh, Right. They it. saw American, dead Americans being drugged through the streets and everything else. And all of a sudden, well, maybe we don't care about their problems that much. So that's my two cents. And that's actually why I've avoided that. I could tell just by the posts on social networking and whatever, what it was about. I got the gist of it without having to sit through 30 minutes of propaganda. I get the idea that there's a bad guy doing bad things. Okay. Right. Let's recognize that there's a bad guy doing bad things. Let's also recognize that to an degree, as long as bad guys are only <clears throat> affecting their people, they're allowed to do that. That's the whole concept of sovereignty. You know, we didn't, we didn't really care about Hitler until he started invading other countries. We didn't care about care about Saddam Hussein until he until he started invading other countries. As long as they're doing stuff in their own country, it's really none of our business. That's my take on it. Well, and I, I tend to kind of go the other way. I like the whole idea of America being the world's police force. Um, heck, in the Marine Corps, we have shirts that say that. You know. Um, and, and I'm okay with that, but again, it's, you know, you, you can't, you can't ride the fence, you know, you, you've got to be one way or the other. I mean, Mark, I totally respect your point of view, right? And, and so if that's your point of view, then you, you live with it and that's, that's what it is. And, you know, uh, but it, it's the people who can get behind something like this and then turn around and, uh, once the Americans start dying, you know, or, uh, bombs start accidentally killing babies, uh, then it's, uh, oh, no, let's get us out of there. And what president was a fool to get us into this, you know? Right. <laughs> so. 
Okay, so that's My- enough politics for our tech show. Right. If you, want, <laughs> if you want politics, that's on Thursday night for the periodic table. Right. I probably you'll probably hear me sound off about that too. <laughs> well, okay, that's fine. That's the place for it there. Yeah, yeah. Uh, this is a you know we try not to do that. So this let's get on to the the technology. And first, Sean, let's tell us how the topic of the or the title of this show came about, and and actually what what spawned me to to create the topic and say hey this is a good idea. We could probably do something fun and interesting about this. Uh, well, yeah, I, and I don't remember exactly what context it was that I was complaining about. I was whining, but uh, uh, I do know that it, basically at at my work, which is a a bigger, richer school district than where I came from, where you work at, Mark, uh, I feel like I've taken a couple of steps back uh, and. In, in a couple of ways, uh, the main one is where where fog is concerned, and how I image what I have to do to image computers and deploy software and things of that nature. And uh, we use uh, where I'm at. We use uh, Microsoft System Center to do that. And uh, it, you know, it's a it's a decent management console. And I'm sure on a higher level, where all the engineers and everybody are involved, they might love it. I don't know. But uh, where where the feet hit the uh, hit the asphalt, so to speak, uh, you know, me doing the tech support and having to deploy images and things like that, it's a pain in the neck. Um, and you know, I can't just, uh, like I could in fog, you know, remote and, and fire up an entire lab and deploy an image across that lab in 20 minutes and, uh, and all the related software and everything else. And, uh, so I was, you know, just again, whining about that to you, Mark. And then that's, yeah, that's kind of how this came up. Cause I think I literally said those words. I want my fog. back. Yeah. That's exactly what you said. Yeah. I want my right. fog back. Um, and, and that that just led me and and it's not that the technology you use has failed it's just uh, you know there's something better out there and right. you know, it's frustrating that you can't use the something better well especially when i'm using like an enterprise grade you know from microsoft you know this is what you know microsoft says you're supposed to be using and right. uh and i i don't have the same capabilities it's just it's mind boggling really that a couple of guys from what chicago uh, uh, yes, uh, outside you of know, Chicago, yeah. Right. Can sit there and just say, no, you know, I think we can do it better. And a couple of guys code this thing together, and and they blow Microsoft out of the water. Well, the I, difference I, is I, that couple of guys work in a school and deal with it every day, and the people at Microsoft don't. Right. Yeah. Right. So yeah. uh, one of the tools that I, I had on my list um, was Land School. And, and uh, taking uh, – Understand that this isn't about bashing certain brands, so please don't do that. Uh, but we, when uh, we made this transition from uh, uh, Windows XP to Windows 7 uh, this last summer, the, the new version of iTalk, iTalk 2.0 that works with Windows 7, has some, some issues. It's not fully baked yet. So we started looking for alternatives. And, and uh, one of the ones that we'd always heard very uh, uh, good things about and that that we wanted to look at was land school. So I got the they have the thirty day free trial thing, and I checked it out, and and we were uh, fairly stoked about it. It's a pretty good process uh, uh, program. The uh, the tools uh, the 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 price isn't isn't bad for what you get. You know, it's I'm not going to say it's entirely tight waterproof, but it's not bad until we figured out that you can't remote into a teacher station using land school. And I thought that's just utterly 
ridiculous. I mean, uh, the how do I, how am I supposed to remote support somebody? So the, the so the tool is designed for a teacher to look at a student classroom. I get that, but right. but what about the rest of us? What about the text? So I have to run a separate tool just to do that, or or, or I have to you know use the sneaker net and go there and look at it, and it just didn't make sense to me. And when I I called Land School and I said, you know, is am I just missing something here? Is there some mechanism that I'm missing? And I said, well, the the teacher can change their their setting to a student. You go into this menu and then sub menu and sub menu and then you click this and then you go there and then you reboot and then you'll be able to get to it. <laughs> and I literally laughed. I was like, that's that's ridiculous. Why could you imagine me trying to talk somebody through that just to get to the point where I can fix their problem? Um, that's ridiculous. So land school was on that list of stuff that just got binned because it, it, uh, just didn't work for us. Yeah. And I've had, a, I've had, you know, some experience with it now because we actually use it at the district I'm in. And, uh, I, at least on one of my campuses, uh, most of my campuses are elementary schools and we don't really have that, uh, type of environment that really calls for it. But, uh, I also have a middle school and it's a fairly large middle school and, um, uh, I guess to put it in in reference or point of scale for you, Mark, is this middle school is probably the size of your district. Um, it's got a lot of kids, and there's numerous labs across this uh, this campus, and so we, I've got land school set up in all of those labs, and the teachers love it, uh, but I think mainly because they don't realize that there's anything missing there. Right. Um, and there really isn't from the teacher standpoint, the teacher managing a classroom, it's fine. But from the techs managing the teachers, it's completely, it falls down. There's completely nothing there. Well, yeah, there's that. But I'll, I'll even say just the basic functionality. Uh, again, it's kind of funny. And I'll say, you know, Italk has kind of almost fallen into a category where it should be maybe on this show. But, um, Italc was a lot more responsive. The graphics were even better. I mean, right. you know, uh, Land School. When you remote in through Land School, uh, it, it looks like I don't know, like you're using like some sort of 24-bit graphics or something. I don't know. <laughs> it just it doesn't look good. It's it's very uh, slow. It's not as responsive, I guess. You know, it takes you longer. You can't just pop in and out of computers, and um, and when you do, it, it's kind of laggy and everything. And uh, so, basic functionality is there. The teachers can remote in. They can you know share their desktop and things like that. But it, none of it works as smoothly as Italk did when we had it running. So, yeah, I, you know, uh, this is, I think this is an area, there's no good alternative. Right. Yeah. And I, I, I'm frustrated with ITALC in that some of its uh, shortcomings and, and the, the things that the steps backwards it took to be Windows 7 compatible. Uh, and the fact that I have to have two different versions of it running now for the XP and for the Windows 7. I've got to have an XP VM over here because it doesn't work with those other keys and but you know maybe and if it doesn't get any better it may end up in that list of stuff that failed but right now i can't find anything better at right. any price at any price it does we're not talking free or or cheap i can't find anything better at any price right yeah and, and you know and this is this is something that of course we're talking in an educational environment but this is the kind of tool that could be used anywhere it, anywhere you have to manage more than like five computers you need a tool like this. You need a tool like how Italc worked in XP. Yeah, I agree. So, 
All right, Sean, you want to run to one of yours on the list next? Uh, gosh, did I? Uh, <laughs> did I put anything <laughs> in there? <laughs> uh, okay, I no because I only put one in there, uh, and I'll say one because you kind of beat me to it. You got to the list and you filled it in, and I was like, "Yep, yep, yep." <laughs> <laughs> um, and I threw one in there that uh, was a little bit off off the beaten path as far as the tools that we're talking about because we're talking more about true software tools that we use whatever but uh this was the first thing that popped into my mind because i remember so vividly how excited we were when it first came out and that was google wave well just let, let me back up the bus a little bit you were considerably more excited about it than i was Oh, yeah, I was. I was like, oh, I'm going to set up our own Google Wave server and all this kind of stuff. So uh, until I learned that you had to be like a Python freaking guru to do it. <laughs> but, uh, uh, yeah, I was very excited about it. And, I, you know, it's one of those things, I guess, I, maybe I'm just too geeky or something. Uh, but I want the whole world to accept these things. And then when they don't, and it so often happens with Google stuff, right? Um, kind of people are saying that that's what's happening with Google Plus. And Google Plus is awesome. I think it's the best social network platform out there. And it's just sad that the masses haven't agreed with us. I don't know how you feel about that, Mark. No, I, I think Google Plus is awesome. I really do. Uh, and, and you're right. It doesn't, it, right now it's the geeks. Um, and you know, Oprah hasn't discovered it yet, but you know, Twitter was the geeks for a long time. And so was Facebook. Uh, yeah. and so, well, Facebook less so because it was, it was in colleges, but Twitter was strictly for the geeks until Oprah found it, you know? So when, when yeah. Oprah f or, or the Oprah equivalent finds Google plus, then my grandmother will be there and then I probably right, won't like it as much. That, or, you know, if Ashton Kutcher, you know, jumps over to Google plus or something like that, but, uh, but Google wave had that kind of promise i thought it was just so neat the way you could interact with people and i guess it was just a little too much for the average person to wrap their mind around right. um all that all that functionality that they had in there uh and you know and then of course everybody was excited about wow what we could do in education with this thing right. which again was true you know there's you could do amazing things with google wave in education but um but largely a lot of that functionality has fallen off onto other google products so uh, right, yeah, uh, uh, that's that's one of the point I wanted to make. That Google Docs inherited a lot of the best parts of Google Wave. Right. Yeah. So you know, it, it's not like we are, are really missing out that much. Uh, I when I when I researched that because first off, I couldn't remember what it was called. <laughs> Funny. I was like, man, I remember that thing. There was that Google thing we were all so excited about. So I uh, I. I I think I Googled uh, like Google flop or something like that. And then it came up and there was all these lists of like the top 25 uh, Google flops. And that is an interesting thing to look at. So if you ever, you know, you want to take a look at uh, Google that like top 25 Google flops. And there's a lot of stuff in there that, you know, you've kind of forgotten about. You're like, right. oh, yeah, I remember when they did that. Um, so uh, I don't know. It, it also reminded me of the whole uh, Abraham Lincoln thing where they talk about, you know, you've seen that list where all of his lists of right, failures, failures just over the years and then elected president. And, uh, it, you know, that's how Google is. You know, they, they keep throwing darts at the wall and then something sticks. You know? right. <laughs> so. Well, I'm actually a little concerned that, that, that they've sort of stopped with that mentality. They've, they've sort of done around, done away with the Google labs in, in an in official way. They're, they're sort of backing off on their famous 20% time and, and focusing on core competencies. And, and that's, that's certainly fine. And, and if I was a Google stockholder, I would be interested in them focusing on core competencies. But uh, as a geek, 
I think that we've lost a little something there, that this this technology giant uh, is no longer innovating in the same way that they used to. Well, yeah. And I mean, let's face it, there's, I don't think any other company on the face of the planet that innovated like Google did. Right. And I, I know all you uh, fruit heads out there, <laughs> <laughs> you fanboys, you, you, you Mac fanboys will probably say that uh, Steve Jobs innovated that much all, all on his own. But no, no, he didn't. He took a bunch of other people's ideas and made them better and made them actually work. <laughs> so <laughs> Google is, was the most innovative company uh, out there by far. And I'm afraid to see it going that direction too. Hey, you, uh, um, you brought back something I actually had in the notes there that I had completely forgotten. Uh, we skipped right over it there in the warm up, but I, I want to hit that because you just addressed it is the, the, uh, you know, the, the philosophy and that sort of thing. Uh, uh, so uh, just a quick departure from what we were just doing, but we'll get back to it. But I, I think this was interesting and, and I think appropriate to this audience. Okay. Uh, uh, earlier, uh, well, actually Friday, uh, uh, last Friday, a couple of guys from a neighboring school district came down to uh, uh, talk about, to, to interview me essentially, to pick my brain about some of the, the things that we do, some of the innovative things we do at my school. And this is not unusual. People do that. On a fairly regular basis, they'll call me up and say, you know, I hear you're the guy who knows how to get things done, you know, with no money. Uh, and so right. uh, it came in, we were talking, I gave him a little tour of our facility and, and showed him some of the stuff we do, showed him our help disk, showed him iTalk. They were blown away by that. They'd never seen that. Uh, and, and a few things like that. But it, what was interesting about that conversation, what almost always happens is that they come to me looking for tools, looking for tips, looking for techniques, and they, they end up getting a, a heavy dose of philosophy. Um, because the, the way that, that I work, the way that I do things in my school district, the things that have made me, uh, allowed me to be successful are not the tools. The tools are certainly prominent there, but it's the philosophy behind it. For example, I told, uh, I told the guy, I said, at our school, um, uh, teachers, have free reign of their computers. They're completely um, unlocked and they're admins and they have the ability to install their own software. I think I was like, really? Um, and, and I, and I showed him well, the, what the tool, the free well tool that we use to uh, allow um, easy creation of, of user accounts. And so the guy said, so when a, a student enrolls, they call you and you use this. I said, no, no, they don't call me. The secretaries at each campus have this tool on their desktop. That's part of the enrollment process. When somebody enrolls, they get they find uh, sign the uh, acceptable use policy, and they they uh, the secretaries create an account. The guy was like, "What? You don't create account? No, I don't create accounts. Why would I create accounts? That's just dumb. That's that's another layer of bureaucracy. It's got to go to me. It's got to f- go through some official channel. Then I do it. Then the, then I've got to notify the kid somehow that this is his account and this is the temporary password I've sent. That's dumb. Give that power to." The people right there on the on the front lines, uh, and and then they were asking, you know, how do you handle uh, what happens if a teacher has this software that they they want to use and they want to install it? I said, well, they put the disk in the drive and they install it. Right. And, and what you don't control that? You don't have that locked down? No, of course not. Uh, they're adults. They're professionals. If they're not professionals, they need to be fired. They don't need to be micromanaged. So right. We, we, they have that full authority. And then, you know, I told them about our 20 minute rule that we talked about here before. I get, I will give 20 minutes of my time or my text time, uh, on trying to fix your problem. 
21st minute, I re-image it. So I come in with the big sledgehammer and, and I will swat the flies with the sledgehammer and I take care of it. And, uh, and they learn, you know, for a, for a while, you know, pretty quickly, they learn that, that they're either to be good stewards of their stuff or to make sure they have their stuff saved somewhere. And, and so he asked me, what about all their stuff? I said, well, they should have that all saved on the server anyway. And he said, well, what do you use to manage the quotas for that? I don't. What do you mean you don't? I said, well, I did the math. And it was cheaper to buy more storage than it was to buy software that managed storage. So I just buy more storage when we need it. I mean, right. I, can, I can add three terabytes for a hundred bucks. I mean, really? Why would I spend thousands on some software to manage um, quotas when storage is that cheap? Everybody has their own storage all the way down from, from pre-K all the way up through um, teachers, the janitors, everybody has their own storage and they're free to do with it as they please. And, and so as we were talking, um, the guy was like, how do you manage all of these devices over a thousand computers and you're just a one man shop? And I said, easy. I do less than you do. I don't, I don't make myself nuts trying to control everything. I let things happen around me and then I manage. That's the exact word. I manage. I don't micromanage. I don't control. I don't dictate. I manage. And that's how one person can manage hundreds of users and thousands of computers by letting, by treating people like adults instead of children. Right. So that was my little uh, speech that I thought was interesting that, that we, that tends to be over overlooked when we talk about tools and we talk about these new ways to do things. It almost always comes down to philosophy more than tools. And none of these tools are going to be effective. And as you're seeing at your school right now, you have more money, more access to resources, but a totally different philosophy from the top down that actually makes you less effective and less efficient, even though you have more stuff. Right. And a lot more money being spent. Yeah. So anyway, that was, that was my little rant that I want to talk about. It's not about tools. It's about philosophy. So. Yeah. I, can I throw in there? No, I'm you sorry. Touched we're done. On it. That's it. <laughs> you, you touched on it, but yeah, I, I don't understand an industry uh, if you can call education an industry, I guess. Uh, but I, I don't, I don't understand that where you have it, almost everybody has a college degree. I right. mean, all of these people have gone to college. They are degreed professionals. They do uh, continuing education. I mean, it's one of the most structured professional environments that you can possibly be in. And then we say, yeah, we got to kind of hold these people's hands and treat them like babies and we can't trust them. Right. And not only that, but we trust them with the most valuable asset anybody could be trusted with our children. Right. And yet we can't trust them to make a smart, we trust them not only with our children, but with 25 and 35 and 45 children at a time. And we say, you're an adult, you're responsible. Here's 45, 16 year olds deal with them. Oh, but you want to install software? Hell no. We don't trust you to do that. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. So yeah, that's, it's just always amazed me because, uh, you go into any other professional environment and it's not nearly, uh, as locked down as it is in education. And, uh, uh you know, I, I understand there's the horror stories out there, but the fact of the matter is those horror stories still exist despite exactly. all of this, all of this, uh, micromanagement, that stuff is still going to happen. It's like saying, uh, you, you want to stop every virus you're not ever going to do it no matter what you do you're not going to do it so right. 
you know, uh, yeah, uh, Mark, we've seen it in action, so we we know that it actually works. Right. But uh, you you know, and we've talked to plenty of those guys, the the lockdown warriors that uh, they just they don't have that kind of faith. Yeah, so. and and actually, that's something we want to do one day on this show. Uh, we want to get somebody who, not me, but somebody who has the same sort of philosophy that I do of, of open things up and manage and and treat people responsibly and deal with the messes here and there. And then we want to have somebody who is just a total network Nazi. I rule the Active Directory like a tyrant. Uh, and we want to have those two people on the show and have a discussion. And Sean and I just sort of interview them in a and as dispassionate a way as possible. So if you know somebody uh, who fits either of those bills and would, and you think they would be willing to come on and defend their position, let us know. We'll contact them and see if we can get them together because I think that would be a fascinating show to just listen to the two different mindsets uh, in uh, hopefully in a, in a sane and um, intelligent manner. Um, and just, just I want to hear from those people who maybe they have very good reasons for being what I call the network Nazi, and I know they don't like it when I call them that. In fact, I get emails from people saying I'm one of those network Nazis you talk about. Um, so, but I would like to hear from those people and from the you know the people who might even be farther to the side of of, of hippiedom than I am. Um, I'd like to get it together. Get them together. We do. So, we do know some. We do right. know some like that. Absolutely. Um, so if you know somebody, and that's the thing, getting those, particularly the control freaks, the other people are almost always willing to come and talk about it. But I've had a hard time getting a control freak to admit that to to agree to be on the show and admit to defend their position. And maybe that's because deep down they know it's indefensible. But if you if you know somebody, uh, let them know about us or let us know about them, and, and we'll try to hook that up because I really think that'd be a great show. Yeah. Yeah, it might uh, end up having to be like a two-parter, though. Right. Yeah. I don't be. see us getting that done anywhere near an hour. Yeah, it'd be a it'd be a four-hour interview that we break up and release over a month or something like that. Right. Okay. So the next uh, uh, tool I had on my list may surprise you, um, being that I'm such an advocate of this, but a failure in my experience um, has been desktop Linux. It has failed every time I've tried it in my environment. And, and I like it. I, I'm an advocate of it. I want to use it. But it has failed every time I've tried. It's failed to get user adoption. It's failed to get administrative backing. It's failed. I've tried using thin clients with the Linux terminal server project. I've, t I've tried using uh, uh, desktop uh, environments with uh, things like uh, PC Linux OS or, or some KDE derivative. And it's failed every time. And so uh, I have to put that on the list of tools that I, that I have tried to use, tried to implement, and it hasn't worked. And, and almost, it almost always comes down to uh, one person or one small group of people saying something like, you know, it can't do X. And they go to the superintendent with it can't do X, and the superintendent says, all right, get rid of it. Um, for, uh, we built a new campus, I've mentioned it several times a few years ago, and my original plan was to put Linux on the desktops and run open office and things like that. And one teacher complained to the superintendent that we didn't have one tool that was Windows only that I could have run, um, you know, in a virtual instance or uh, through remote desktop. There are ways around that. But the directive from on high came 
I want every computer here to have Windows and Microsoft Office on it. And immediately my budget was two-thirds over budget. It, it cost me 60% more to do that than I wanted to. And so when the final bill came, the same superintendent came to me and said, you went way over your budget. What's the deal? And I said, remember this conversation we had about you said that you will have Windows and you will have Microsoft Office? Well, that was the cost. And the original cost projections we were working from didn't include either of those. Right. So anyway, that's my story about Linux having failed. I'm still trying here and there, um, but it's failed every time I've tried. What about you, Sean? Uh, well, I'm certainly not going to, I don't think, ever try it where I'm at right now. <laughs> uh, but, uh, yeah, I mean, I agree. I, you know, uh, I'm, I'm kind of hopeful that as we continue to tra tra transition, uh, found my word there, uh, as we continue to transition more towards the, the cloud, so to speak, um, that maybe that might be a possibility. Uh, I, I know we know of schools that could do it. I mean, we know of schools that pretty much operate exclusively in the cloud. And uh, so they certainly could. Right. But and, and uh, they're like a half of 1%. Probably right. Maybe less than that. As we stop being more dependent on desktop apps in general, then yeah, you know it. It won't matter what dis, dis, distribution that uh, you have, what operating system you have. But I've always said I don't want to do something just because. I don't want to put Linux in just because it's Linux. Um, and with the the new licensing agreements that Microsoft has had, you can almost take money off the table because they've made it so inexpensive. So now you have to have a really compelling reason to use Linux. I just haven't come up with one. I haven't come up with something to, to put that over the top. Yeah, well, uh, I guess, uh, yeah, I mean, you really can't. I mean, anytime you're going to buy hardware, you're going to get an OS. Right. So, And, and I use Linux on the server all over the place. So I'm specifically talking about desktop Linux here. Oh, yeah, yeah, to two totally different things. Right. Um, and, uh, yeah, I mean... I don't know. I guess there's probably maybe schools out there that don't have a Linux server. Right. But yeah, yeah those, those pure Microsoft shops or, or, uh, heaven forbid the, the Novell people who are still hanging on out there. Um, right. Uh, but even, even where I'm at, I mean, I, I know we have at least one Linux server. Right. <laughs> I don't know. We might have more than that, but, uh, yeah, they don't, they don't let me near their server room. <laughs> <laughs> probably for, you know, that's probably a good thing, but. <laughs> okay. So the next thing I had on my list, uh, as long as we're talking about, uh, imaging solutions is ghost as in Symantec ghost, the actual yeah, the old, one, old school ghost, yeah, right? The one that sort of started it all. Um, Early on, I'm curious, I'm curious where you're going with this because I was kind of surprised that you put this on the list. I did. So. Early on, I used Ghost and loved Ghost back when it was on a floppy disk. You know, that's how long I've been using Ghost. Um, and then um, later on, I uh, used CDs and, and, and imaging uh, things over CDs and then later DVDs. But once images got so big that it was no longer appropriate or effective to use physical media and had to go to the network, I started using, again, the Symantec, the official uh, version, the way to do it, and Ghost clobbered my network, just totally destroyed it. I, I couldn't do a single lab without everybody knowing it. And if I tried to do more than one lab at a time, it just destroyed things. 
And so that led us to look to a different tool, which later led us to Fog. So before there was Fog, there was uh, we used uh, Ghost for Linux in in between there, uh, and that's the one. Which that, was a good uh, tool. Yeah, that's the one that Sean knows from when when he came to work for me. And yeah, it's a good tool. It's not as automated or as as fully awesome as Fog is, but it was better in terms of network performance than Ghost. Now I don't know if the new version is better, but from what I hear from people who use it, it's not. It's still a bandwidth beast. And I don't have that issue with Fog. It just, it works really well. Its queue management system is really intelligent. And uh, it doesn't degrade my network in the way that, that Ghost did. Oh, yeah. I mean, I yeah, I can't remember any specific numbers, but I'm sure that there were times when we fired off two or three labs simultaneously and nobody noticed anything. Right. Yeah, like, uh, the interesting thing about that is is with Fog, as you do more images, the imaging goes slower. So it's like it has a bandwidth uh, cap that it carves out, and it divides that between itself without affecting the rest of the network. At least that's been my experience. So if I fire off three labs, those three labs go slow as compared to just one lab, but the rest of the network functions just fine. Right. Well, and you still get the three done in less time than any other possible way. Right. Absolutely. So a ghost... The, the original, the, the beginning, I mean, it started everything, but my experience, like so many things, is that the pioneer couldn't keep up, and the young upstart took over. Um, and uh, Sean, with your, what'd you say, system, Microsoft System Center, is that what you said it was? Yeah, System Center. How does it uh, go in terms of network performance? Do you notice when you're doing a large number, does it affect your systems? Well, well it, it's kind of like using G4L. Because you, you kind of have that, there's that, uh, it, it's, it's not automated. I mean, there's, there's, is no automation in that process, uh, other than, I guess, after you fire off the, the image. But, uh, for me to actually image an entire lab, I have to go lay hands on that entire lab one by one. So you never get more than a handful running at a time because by the right. time you I get mean, the 10th the one done, the first one's finished. It, exactly. I mean, if I was going to go and, oh, I'm going to go image these three labs right now. Uh, but from the time I hit the first one to the time I hit the last one, uh, the last one would be like an hour later or maybe more. And, uh, yeah, certainly the, the first lab would be done before I got the third lab even fired up. So there's no real way to compare the two. That's interesting. Cause I was showing, uh, one of the students, uh, who, who, uh, are helping me out this year. Uh, we had to image a couple of labs and I was like, okay, uh, what, uh, what room is it? that needs the issue and he told me all right click now you should see them all waking up and imaging now and it was it's just that easy it's just a couple of clicks and bang you're going yeah um uh, green poo in the chat room and uh he's right uh, there are where you can put like mandatory assignments in system center so you can assign uh, an entire lab to image and then the next time the computer starts up it's going to do that but uh that's not exactly very, it's still not near as good as fog. So <laughs> you're going to do that. And then what are you going to do? You're going to either have to call up a, a teacher or somebody there locally and say, uh, can you fire up all these machines for me? Which they're going to have to go around pushing power buttons or, uh, or you're going to have to go and do it yourself. So, so there's um, just not a wake on land component to it. Right. That's, that's just not there. And that's, uh, that it's just amazing to me that anything enterprise and with what's out there now, uh, that they just don't have that 
just fun- that functionality built in. Hmm. So, okay. So, uh, moving on to the next thing in the list, I'm going back old school here. Uh, the, uh, a technology that I was all bullion and super excited about that just fizzled was the palm handheld computer. Ah, yes. Boy, back in I the loved day, my trio, yeah, man. Yeah. Now, I'm going back to the Palm M100, the black yeah. and white device <laughs> with the, the stylus in the back. It was, it was plastic. And I thought, these things are 150 or 200 bucks a piece. And for the cost of one computer, I can give them to 10 kids. And this is awesome. I'm just going to go everywhere. And they had the beaming thing where we could beam documents back and forth. And this is going to be awesome. And it just went, and it just didn't work. Because it didn't have a big shiny apple on the back of it. I'm sure that was part of it. But let's not forget the Newton, which did have a big shiny apple on the back of it. <laughs> That's true. That's true. Yeah, but boy, they tried to make that right. work. It's just that the technology just wasn't there yet. And it just, it was too limiting. It you know, the, 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 the thing is, and has always come down to it for any of these mobile technologies to me, is document creation. Uh, even back then we were talking about plugging in, uh, keyboards to these palms so that kids could type. Um, and that's the same discussion we're having now about iPads is plugging in keyboards to them so that kids can type until we figure out that, uh, data input problem, these mobile, mobile devices or whatever their, their stride just aren't going to be as effective as we want them to be. Yeah. And And I just wonder if there's going to be a lot of iPad remorse in the next few years, like there's, I'm hearing a lot about a lot of smart board remorse from schools. Now it's like we went out and we spent millions of dollars on Promethean or smart boards. And now we're realizing that we could have just stuck a projector in the room and got the same thing for a 10th of the price. Right. Well, uh, I'd have to say that's one that, uh, I'll have to backtrack on a little bit because, uh, you know, the teachers in my district, they use the heck out of their smart boards and it truly impacts the way they teach. Um, and I see, I see them using it very effectively. Now, certainly there's those teachers that all it is is it's a high dollar, uh, projector screen, uh, you know, for Fridays when they fire up movies and don't feel like teaching, but, (laughs) (laughs) but, uh, but the vast majority of teachers out there are good and, they love their smart boards and they use the heck out of them and the kids love them. I can't tell you, uh, it's already over a handful of times now where I've gone into a classroom and fixed a smart board and got a standing ovation. So, uh, not only the teachers, but the students, they love these devices and they use the heck out of them. So, uh, you know, I, I, I get it more, I guess right. I should say. And, and I, I see, I, I see it more in action than with, uh, most any other device that we talk about. Yeah. I'm not saying it can't be done. I'm just saying that I'm hearing a lot of feedback from places that did it poorly. Um, and, you know, it's all about training. We've said that a million times. Well, and there's, you know, you, you can go a, a different level in, in that, you know, I mean, the, we know there's the, there's the $15,000 smart board and there's right. the $3,000 smart board and there's the, uh, what, 700, what we paid for our smart. Right. Around that. Yeah. Uh, so it, it depends, uh, you know, where you fall. If you spent $15,000 per smart board, you're probably going to be, <laughs> you know, not, not overwhelmed with uh, what you got for your money. Right. Uh, so, yeah. Okay. okay. So the next thing I have on my list is uh, 
uh, like unto it are classroom response systems. Now, I can hear elementary teachers all across the land saying, no, I love my CPS. I love the classroom response system. I love my clickers. Yeah, but in terms of actually doing anything useful in education, they have fizzled, in my opinion. I, you know, they're great gimmicks and they can make test taking easier. But um, the way I see it, it, and this comes from my vast years of classroom education experience, meaning I don't have any, um, is that you have if, a little bit, yeah, a little, but if you can <laughs> write a test that can be answered with a clicker, it's a bad test. It doesn't show any real mastery of content. All it shows is that you can match up A, B, and C. So, um, <laughs> at our school, I mean, we were giving those things out like, like sleeping pills. I don't know why that came to mind. Like chicklets. Okay. We were just handing yeah. them out like, just here, just have, have a, have a whole classroom set of responders. Here, you have a classroom set of responders. Our elementary principal at one time bought every teacher a set. And now we are literally throwing them out in the garbage because after they, they've spent years in right. some uh, back closet or wherever the teacher squirreled them away to. Right. They just weren't used. And again, that a lot of that I, I blame on training and that sort of thing, but it's just a technology that is not that big a deal to me. And, and I don't get it. Maybe uh, teachers explain it to me, write in, tell me about it, explain to me why they're the greatest thing ever. But for now, well, you're going to, you're going to get that one in 50 teachers who actually uses the heck out of the things. Right. And there are those out there, and I love watching them use them. Um, I think an, a, a good teacher who who has really thought it through uses those things effectively. They look for particular uh, uh, points in you know points of knowledge that that they've covered in the last week or whatever, and then they design a quiz specifically designed to test you know where that where that knowledge is in that classroom. And it helps them find kind of loopholes or maybe concepts that they need to go back in and research. But one in 50 might be a kind number. It right. may not even be that high. I mean, the, the teacher who actually uses those things effectively is very rare. And, and the new models, though, that they're still cranking out, they brag about how now you can do text entry. Uh, one of the systems has like the, like the old T9 style, like you used to have on your cell phone where you hit, you know, AA54 or whatever to get to the numbers. You've got your 10 digit number pad and you press it three times to get a C and, and, and you press one time to get an A and, and they're like, see, you, now you can do text entry. Oh my gosh. Really? You're going to call that thoughtful, meaningful text entry? Like you might, if you're lucky, get the capital of a state in there but otherwise it's just an exercise in futility um and one of the presentations i went to was like yeah the kids are all familiar with this they know how to do this no they don't the kids like my age and 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 slightly younger the 20 somethings might still remember how to do that but the little kids they're used to on-screen iphone keyboards they don't know how to do that yeah yeah yeah, well, and they're they're coming out with new and innovative ways to do this kind of stuff, anyways. Now, I mean, uh, heck, you can. There's probably two dozen websites that you can just fire fire up a bunch of uh, iPads or netbooks or whatever device you might have and use those, anyways. Yeah. So, okay, uh, the next thing I have on my list, and I don't know if other people bought into this, but I did. Uh, was the the Alpha Smart keyboards, and that's that's a brand name, but there are others like theirs. Basically, a keyboard with a really rudimentary uh, word processor in it, so you could type documents, and then you took it and plugged it into a computer and hit send, and it typed it all out back onto the computer. 
And uh, we thought these were going to be awesome because they were cheap. They were rugged. They were uh, durable. We could hand these out to kids and they could keep them in their backpack. They could type all their stuff. And then when they brought it and you could, they, the later models even had the beaming thing like the palm where they could turn them in that way. And the teacher would have all that. And we tried that and it was just, you know, wah, wah, wah. <laughs> it just didn't work. A very few kids who had no access to any other kind of computer took them home and typed on it. But you had like a, a, a screen that could show three lines, 80 characters long. Um, it was it was impossible to edit anything meaningfully, uh, and it was it was difficult to write. Uh, a period, and so it was just it was a big deal um, that I got excited about, and I'm glad I did a small scale test before I rolled it out because it was just a flop for me. Do you remember those, Sean? No, actually, I don't. That's why I was kind of interested to hear you talk about this one because I was like, I bet this is something from back in the Stone Age. <laughs> 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 sure enough, because, uh, yeah, you've got me clobbered on uh, uh, time in the business, so to speak. So I figured it was one of those kinds of things. If you'll excuse me, I'm going to go get my walker and my, my arthritis pills now. <laughs> hey, it's coming. You're getting close. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the big four zero is right around the corner. Yeah, yeah. So if, if you don't know out there, I mean, uh, me and Mark are, what, like uh, – Six weeks, weeks apart or something. Six yeah. weeks, seven, seven weeks apart, something like that in, in age. So, yeah, I just I just hit the 40 wall, and uh, Mark is just like bearing down on you like a ton of bricks. <laughs> <laughs> you look good, though, brother. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> and so uh, the next uh, thing that is one that we've both raved about and uh, uh, pantsed <laughs> here on this, on this show, and that's uh, Spiceworks. Spiceworks was something that was a big deal that fizzled in my experience. Once you get more than a couple of hundred items in the Spiceworks database, it just says, help, I can't do this anymore, and it just falls apart. So uh, Spiceworks is persona non grata to me right now. Uh, just the other day, um, a uh, projector came in that needed a bulb, and I thought, you know, I think we've worked on this one before. I wonder if it's having an issue because it, it didn't seem like it should – pop a bulb that quickly. So it's got the inventory tag we put on it. We, uh, so I said, told my, my student aide, I said, Hey, uh, scan this into Spiceworks and let's look at the history on this and see what it does. So he went to the browser, he typed the Spiceworks URL and the class was over before it loaded. We never, he never got to scan it. So after he left, I scanned it and like 45 minutes later, it found the thing. It was just, it's just getting ridiculous. And this is on, on a big server with like multiple, multiple cores and gigs of RAM. And it's Which just, they not don't doing claim it. that you need anything near that. Right. Yeah. That, that was one that was really disappointing to me. And I, you know, I really led the push for that, uh, initially there, Mark, uh, because it seemed like that kept happening to me. I was like, gosh, I swear I worked on this same issue before on this machine, but I wasn't sure. And we had no way of keeping track of that. And, uh, so we were all excited when we saw Spiceworks and on the surface, when you first load Spiceworks, it looks great. It's relatively snappy when you first run it. Right. With but not then, many things in the, in the database, it's great. Right. But once that database loads up, boy, it just gets, uh, it gets unusable. There's no other word to use than that. Right. Um, and, uh, it seemed kind of funny that, you know, I'd have some people every now and then pop back at us and say, Oh no, it works great for me and everything, but I, I really uh, wonder if they were using all of the functionality because we really, you know, we, we turned the screws on it. I mean, we, right. 
you know, we we really uh, put it into production, so to speak. So, um, yeah, Spiceworks was uh, a big flop for us. Yeah, and and when when I've talked to those people, I said, well, how many items do you have in your database? And I'll say, oh, three hundred computers or so. Well, yeah, okay, it works fine there. But we did we had the bright idea of putting all the computers, all the phones, all the projectors, all the monitors, everything in there because that's what you want an inventory database to be, right? You want it to be your entire inventory. And that was just a bad idea. Apparently, Spiceworks is a selective inventory tool. Yeah, yeah. Or, you know, yeah, maybe that's what they're doing. They have, well, I have six Spiceworks servers going. I've got one for my <laughs> desktops and one for my <laughs> projectors. And Yeah. Which apparently uh, I don't know. you're supposed to be able to do that. But I think that's ridiculous. I shouldn't have to do that. Right, right. So, yeah. So why, why I'm not saying Spiceworks is dead to me. It's It's in ICU at the moment. I, I will say that there is still one good thing about Spiceworks. It's their community. Okay. They have an amazing community. I mean, there's so many, so many great people in that community uh, that, uh, you know, if you, if you have a question or something, it's one of the few places you can really go and there's going to be somebody who knows something. Uh, a lot of times you, you know, you go and post on a forum or something like that. You know, you're lucky if you get any kind of answer back, but uh, the Spiceworks community is probably the best tech community I've seen out there. Nightstar in the chat room says he pulled the plug on it. Apparently, Spiceworks at his school had a DNR, and uh, when the time came, they didn't do any heroic measures. They just pulled the plug. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> what else can you do? Right. You know? uh, <laughs> faded into the sunset, he says. <laughs> uh, let's see, and I think the last thing I have on my list, and this is a controversial one, but in, this is my experience, and I'm telling you what it is, is laptops. Laptops have failed for me. Um, I know lots of people still use them heavily, but in my experience, they're, they're not functional for large scale environments. Not unless you want to replace them every year. Right. I mean, if you had that kind of commitment level, then, uh, maybe they would work out okay. But, uh, uh yeah, I see that a lot. I, I do see them being used, but, uh, more and more they, kind of get pushed off to the side by teachers. Right. Um, and, and there's another problem, which I'm seeing on a couple of my campuses right now, is uh, we have perfectly functioning laptops, but I keep getting tickets about uh, this laptop. Uh, it, you know, we turn it on, but it only lasts for 20 minutes and then it dies. That's because That's you've, had right. it for, yeah, you've had it for four years now and you, haven't, you have no plan to replace any of those batteries. Right. So while you have perfectly functioning uh, laptops, the batteries have no more life in them. And, uh, you know, it's things like that that, uh, you know, Mark, I know I'm preaching to the choir here, but we, we've seen time and time again, uh, school districts jump headlong into these initiatives, you know, one-to-one and, and iPad for all and, and everything else. And they, they fail to account for everything. Right. No capacity, no plan for sustainability. At, at our school, we still have uh, probably 250, 300 laptops, but only a small fraction of those are laptops. The rest of them are sitting on tables plugged into the wall with an Ethernet cable, um, and they're no longer laptops because they they either the network card was only 802.11b, and then the you know 11 megabits just wasn't enough to handle the modern load. But mostly it's the battery issue. So if you can't run it for more than a few minutes at a time, you end up plugging into the wall and setting it on a desk. And at that point, it's not a laptop anymore. So yes, it's the laptop form factor, but it's not a laptop anymore. So I don't even count it anymore. 
Well, and you know, when you, you count the expense, uh, you could have just done what you did there at your high school, Mark, is you put a desktop in every single desk. Right. If that's where you're going to end up anyway, uh, spend a little bit less money in most cases and put a decent desktop in there and uh, just go there from the start. Yeah, and people, uh, you know, I always say that the the battery claims, I make that claim, and people say, well, heck, you know, the this new MacBook Pro gets, you know, 27 hours on the battery. You know, there's always these ridiculous claims, 18, 26 hours, whatever it is. Yeah, okay, for six months. A year from now, it won't, it'll get half of that. Two years from now, it'll get half of that again. Three years from now, you'll be lucky if you can turn it on and get through a boot cycle without it. They just, it's the nature of batteries. There's nothing wrong with the device. It's just the technology is not appropriate for what we use them. Uh, so yeah, laptops are dead to me. They failed. That's one, that's one place that I'm going to say, uh, and I will bite my tongue while I say it, but, uh, Apple has figured out better than most other manufacturers. Right. Because they have the sealed battery, they're bigger batteries. They can last longer. Uh, so, but it's, they still have the same longevity issues. Well, yeah, but I, I mean, you know, these, for the most part, they're, you know, when we're getting those devices in, they are devices that at least address the teacher's need. You know, these are devices that can be fired up throughout the day, all day long. They don't have to worry about constantly charging them and things like that. Um, and, uh, you know, so that's less of an issue, uh, so to speak. But I mean, certainly you're going to have degradation there over time, but, uh, uh, you know, even from the get-go, out of the box, they're better. Right. The only batteries I worry about are CMOS batteries that I have to replace <laughs> every five years or so. <laughs> right. I remember uh, I remember when we got the last order of those, they were like, oh, we need to get a bunch of CMOS batteries yeah. so we yeah. can uh, replace those. Yeah. Yeah, this round of desktops we bought in 97, all the CMOS batteries are popping now and they're corroded. So let's order a bunch for, oh, a buck each. And we'll spend the day replacing them. Okay, I'm done with batteries for the next six years. <laughs> right. Well, see, but that's the tightwad tech mentality right there. Because right. anybody else, they don't, you know, our computers are long gone before we have to worry <laughs> about true. a CMOS that's battery. True. <laughs> yeah, not and, many uh, people. Nightstar uh, CMOS batteries aren't expensive. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Not many people keep um, computers long enough for the CMOS battery to become an issue. But, uh, but we do right. where I work. That's the tightwad way. <laughs> okay that's my list that's the um i didn't even count how many it was nine or ten things that uh, have been total flops in my years uh in the industry so we'll move right on to the tips of the week and i see that sean did not take his time and use it wisely to come up with a tip oh no so. i was too i was too busy reminiscing but i actually did <laughs> i did come up with something i just didn't paste it into the notes so <laughs> okay good well you go ahead and go first then all right, so uh, my teacher tip of the week is technology bits bites nibbles dot info. <laughs> I know that's a lot to take, uh, but I will say as always, just go to our show notes and you can get the links for these if uh, if you're so inclined. Uh, this site is a list of uh, virtual field trips, basically. So if you're a teacher and you're you've heard the term virtual field trip, uh, this is a good place to start. Uh, so it's 15 awesome interactive virtual field trips and uh, I will uh, put that in the show notes and you can go check it out. There's things like uh, Stonehenge in Berlin and I think I've, I've seen several Stonehenge things out there where you can like it's three dimensional and you can kind of walk around and through the whole Stonehenge thing. Right. 
So, uh, so yeah, it's got a bunch of that, you know, cathedrals of Europe and all kinds of stuff like that. But uh, uh, go check it out. This is a good place to start. It's a nice list of those uh, virtual field trips. All right. And my uh, tech tip is not necessarily a tech tip, but it's just a cool thing that I found recently. Vocal.com, V-O-K-L-E.com. And it's uh, what it aims to be is like the Adobe Connect or the big blue button on the web. It's a free place where you can host webinars, um, where you can create, uh, you can share your desktop, you can have uh, people raise their hands and have audience questions, that whole thing there. And it's all right in the browser. So all you need is a webcam and a mic of some sort, and of course the internet connection, to join in. So you can uh, create um, a, sh- a classroom or, or event of some kind, and then other people can uh, join in. And I'm relatively sure, as I, if I remember correctly, that it's a free service. Um, and so it looks like a pretty uh, interesting way. I haven't tried it. It was just something that was recommended to me. And uh, so I thought I'd pass it on vocalevocal.com. So if you want to have a, uh, a webinar of your own, host it yourself, uh, there's a way to do that on the web without any other tools. Awesome. All right. That was a great show. Thank you. For I know I'm popping so. in a little bit early with that. I know that's supposed to be like the last thing, but uh, uh, I don't know. Should I jump in here, Mark? Is, well, is, is it still my... Is it still okay to do the content? Because you've given it the great show, seal of approval. Can we can we do anything else now, or do we have to contractually? Are we done? Oh no, I think we could. I think contractually, we have to let people know how they can reach us. I mean, I, I don't remember the terms of the collective bargaining agreement. I think the great <laughs> show though was the the terminator. Was the it? Yeah. <laughs> can I retract my great show? <laughs> I think people all over the web do that almost every week. <laughs> right. All right. Well, uh, before I actually, uh, uh, I don't know, deem this a great show, uh, (laughs) (laughs) maybe we should jump in here and let everybody know how you can contact us. Uh, One, if you've got any great ones out there that we've missed, and I'm sure there's plenty, uh, hop on our website, elementop.com. Join in on the forums there and... uh, Put put your favorite flops on there. We'd love to hear from you. We always yeah. do love to hear those things. That'd be so. a good forum thread. I would like to see that. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And I'm sure that, yeah, it, it's kind of like, you know, just uh, reminiscing, right? So people will bring up stuff. You'd be like, oh, yeah, I tried that too. Um, so elementop.com, and you can uh, hop in on the forums. Uh, that's also where you can listen in live and join our chat rooms during our, our, our shows and check out all of our other shows. Uh, you can follow us on Twitter at elementop slash tightwadtech and uh, Facebook, facebook.com slash elementop. Uh, you can call us. We haven't mentioned this one in a while, Mark. Uh, we've kind of been, I don't know, just leaving it out. But right. you can call us and leave us a message at 559 am and uh, that's just a Google Voice number there. And uh, leave us a message, good or bad, and uh, we very likely will play it on the air. We've never had that's to right. play a bad one on the air. Right. Now, they've all been at least relatively complimentary. Right. So that is a good thing. Uh, so, yeah, many, many ways. Uh, and you can find other ways, uh, you know, ways to contact me or Mark uh, directly, things like that. Uh, you know, Mark, I'm in a u- uniquely nice situation right now where I don't have to beg for listener spotlights. Yeah. Isn't that awesome? You've yeah. Got, you got people lined up and waiting. 
Yeah, I really do. For like the next uh, uh, two months, I've got listener spotlights out there. But you can still contact me, Sean at elementop.com, and I will be glad to get you to like June or something now. <laughs> so, uh, so, all right. That was a great show. Well, thank you, Sean. And having said that, <laughs> it is now a great show officially for the second time. I will simply say this is Mark signing off. And Sean signing off. <laughs>